Welcome to The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Listen to Joe tackle the really tough moral issues, current events, and politics from a Catholic perspective. Now here's Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Hello again, Sixpack Warriors. Welcome back to The Cantankerous Catholic, episode 149. Pope's a communist, as we demonstrated last week in our interview with Michael Hitchmore of the Lepanto Institute. Pretender Biden is trying to make America a communist state. And now Biden is considering shutting down another pipeline as winter approaches, which punishes Americans while enriching a lot of camel jockeys. Our nation is on the brink of collapse. The Catholic Church would be on the brink of collapse as well, if that were possible. Still, the state of the Church is frightening. As St. Ignatius of Loyola said, we must pray as if everything depends on God, but work as if everything depends on us. I know that all of you six-pack warriors are praying. In this episode, we're going to talk about working for our Church and our nation, especially you men. Things have really snuck up on me. You know, I don't earn a dime from this apostolate, and I provide a lot of free resources. There's the free email course, the weekly free webinars, and I don't get a dime from my wander column. And what little revenue I take in comes from book sales and a few very generous monthly donors. I barely cover costs, and some months I don't even do that. Stuff to do on a meager fixed income. Pretender Biden's inflation is eating us alive, and it comes at a time when this apostolate has some very specific needs. I need a new computer for the apostolate, or the apostolate's finished. I have annual fees associated with this apostolate that have to be paid, and some are pretty substantial. I'm trying to get money to launch the Help of Christians podcast network in January. I really need you six-pack warriors to rally around this apostolate and help keep things going. Between this apostolate and all the other things I do, I reach around 300,000 souls a week. 
That can't continue if I don't have your help. There's a link in my show note that says, Help Keep the Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate Alive. Click on that link to make a gift to this apostolate, and please make it a monthly gift as long as you can. There's also information there for six-pack warriors who prefer to mail a check. As Mother Angelica used to say, put us somewhere between the water bill and the light bill. Thank you. The other day I watched a three-part documentary by Tucker Carlson called Patriot Purge. What this documentary revealed about the pretender Biden administration was beyond shocking. President Reagan once told us that our freedoms are just one generation away from being taken away, and it appears that those freedoms may be gone before we even get to the midterm elections. As I reported to you in episode 132, the Biden administration has enacted a policy that classifies anyone who voted for Trump as a domestic white terrorist. Thanks to George W. Bush's so-called Patriot Act, a law I've been a strong critic of since it was passed, Biden is able to strip all of us of our constitutional liberties. The January 6th incursion at the Capitol has afforded the Communist-in-Chief the perfect opportunity to do just that. Just to remind you, the Patriot Act permits the government to arrest anyone on American soil that it deems a domestic terrorist. Those detained under the Patriot Act have no right to an attorney until and if they're given a day in court. They have no contact with family and friends, not even to tell them they've been arrested. Unlike prisoners in federal and state prisons and jails, these detainees don't have a right to simple basic human living conditions, and they're potentially subjected to torture. As I said, the Biden administration has classified Trump supporters as domestic terrorists. They did this last June in the policy document titled National Strategy for Countering Domestic Terrorism. The document says, quote, The two most lethal elements of today's domestic terrorism threat are, one, radically or ethically motivated violent extremists who advocate for the superiority of the white race and, Two, anti-government or anti-authority violent extremists, such as militia violent extremists, end quote. Repeatedly, Biden has spoken out publicly about Trump supporters being white supremacists and anti-government, anti-authoritarian violent extremists. And right now, Biden is setting the stage to classify those of us who reject the vaccine mandates as anti-authoritarian extremists as well. The administration is setting the stage for a complete tyrannical takeover of this country. Biden has told his TV generals to get rid of all military personnel who reject getting the jab. He's also enacted critical race theory training for them. After January 6, all of the men and women in our military were interviewed to determine who those among them are Trump supporters. Even those who weren't, if they were perceived as patriots who believe in the Constitution, they were labeled as suspicious. Consequently, Biden is removing everyone in the military who dissents from his policies. This sets the stage for the military to suppress and fight American citizens. Now let's return to January 6th. 
From the day of his inauguration, Biden has launched the biggest, most technologically advanced manhunt for everyone who was at the January 6th rally, whether they had anything to do with entering the Capitol building or not. Let me repeat that. The Biden administration is actively seeking out anyone who was at the January 6th Trump protest rally in Washington. The CIA is now funding 38 separate companies to identify and spy on social media posts whose opinions the Biden administration disagrees with, despite that the CIA is forbidden by law to perform its activities on American soil against Americans. Once you're identified as an extremist, meaning Trump supporter, your personal information goes into a government database called Main Core. Once this happens, your life can change very quickly. In April of this year, there was a pre-dawn raid by the FBI of a couple in Alaska named Paul and Marilyn Huber. The Hubers aren't international terrorists, nor are they domestic terrorists. Then what was their crime? They were at the Trump election integrity protest on January the 6th, and they never even entered the Capitol building. Yet the FBI said they were looking for Nancy Pelosi's stolen laptop computer. The FBI wouldn't allow the Ubers to examine the warrant and wouldn't allow them to make a phone call. During the raid, the agents began collecting evidence against Paul and Marilyn Uber. Oddly, one piece of evidence collected was Marilyn Uber's pocket-sized copy of her Constitution and Declaration of Independence. You know, this nation's founding documents that most of you probably have. I know I do. So if you have a copy of the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, you're a terrorist and they'll use that as evidence against you. Federal agencies have a long history of ensnaring American citizens, especially Trump supporters. It's been proven that some of the instigators of the Capitol building incursion were either FBI agents or informers and members of Black Lives Matter. Ali Alexander, one of the organizers of the January 6th rally, and others who demanded election integrity are on the FBI watch list. Alexander lost all of his social media accounts, along with his ability to earn a living. The FBI has made his life a living hell just for being a Trump supporter. Apparently, one of Trump's less significant tweets was true when he wrote, They don't hate me, they hate you. I'm just in the way. You'll all recall the alleged plot to kidnap Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. The FBI claims credit for stopping this plot, but did they? It's been proven that 12 of the 18 conspirators in the plot to kidnap Governor Whitmer were FBI agents. In other words, the FBI set the whole thing up in order to advance the idea that Trump supporters are domestic terrorists. I could go on and on about how the FBI and other swamp creatures during the Trump administration and the Biden administration have pushed the idea into the American consciousness that you and I are domestic terrorists intent on the destruction of the United States of America. I really think I've been preaching this truth to the choir because you already know this. So what that actually leaves is the answer to two questions. How did we get here and how do we fix it?
The answer to how we got here is simple. It's our own damn fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. The Democratic Party brought us to this point in small incremental steps since the Franklin Roosevelt administration. FDR, who was a big fan of Uncle Joe Stalin, introduced socialism into this country with all his varied programs. He claimed that his New Deal programs, like the WPA, CCC, TVA, and Social Security, would save us from the Great Depression, but his real aim was to make America a socialist country. It wasn't the New Deal that saved America from the Depression, but rather World War II. From FDR forward, the Democratic Party began its assault on the American culture and society. It began after the war with the rejection of God in the public square, making prayer in schools illegal and attacking anything, making a public display of Christianity. From there they began their culture of death agenda, legalized abortion, the acceptance and promotion of homosexuality, same-sex unions, contraception, euthanasia, and physician-assisted suicide. They made political correctness and radical feminism so prevalent and accepted in our society that we began to fear expressing moral truth, a moral truth that previously guided all Americans and any dissent to the leftist agenda. Consequently, we allowed the Democrats to bring us to this point. If we'd had the same spirit of patriotism that Americans had during the 18th and 19th centuries, none of this would have happened. Khrushchev knew what he was talking about when he told us that communism would defeat America without firing a single shot. Had we maintained the spirit of 1776, we'd have challenged the Democrats every time they tried to advance their unconstitutional agenda. But America and Americans had become too fat and lazy, so this is definitely our own fault. But we can't afford laziness anymore. We have to stand and fight for our freedom, our right to practice our faith, and our right to even exist. What brought the thrust of this episode together for me was an article I read about a speech given by Senator Josh Hawley of my home state of Missouri at the National Conservatism Conference. For those of you who aren't familiar with Senator Hawley, he's a 41-year-old conservative who taught constitutional law at the University of Missouri Law School. Prior to that, his claim to fame, what thrust him into the limelight, was his successful defense of Hobby Lobby against Obamacare's mandate to provide abortion and contraceptive coverage. Hawley is a longtime opponent of virtually everything on the left, especially radical feminism. Radical feminism has essentially neutered the American male. Being the sort of man who was able to leave everything behind to defend our freedoms in World War II, you know, the greatest generation, is now derided by leftists as toxic masculinity. But being that sort of man has never been toxic. Being that sort of man is what created America and has kept her free for nearly 250 years. During his speech, Hawley said the left has a, quote, grand ambition to deconstruct America. But what I want you to notice, what I want you to call out tonight, is this fact, that the deconstruction of America begins with and depends on the deconstruction of American men. 
He observed that the left wants to redefine, quote, traditional masculinity and traditional masculine virtues, such as courage, independence, and assertiveness, as toxic, and has been delivering this message from every platform where they have power, which is most everywhere. The Republican senator said the message of toxic masculinity has extended even into the elementary schools where boys are increasingly treated like an illness in search of a cure. If boys are too rambunctious, they're diagnosed with hyperactivity disordered and medicated into submission. Many men in this country are in crisis, and their ranks are swelling, Hawley said, arguing that a sustained cultural attack on masculinity has led to heightened rates of anxiety, depression, substance abuse, and addiction to video games and pornography among American men. If you've listened to this show for any length of time, you've heard me tell you men that it's past time to stand up and be a man a man who's the spiritual leader of his family and a man dedicated to standing up to defend the Catholic Church and America. Being a man, a real man and not the sort of wimp who gets pushed around or cowers when opposed for standing up for truth, no matter how politically incorrect that truth may be, is necessary now more than ever. It amazes me that most of the interviews of common everyday conservatives that I see from conservative online media are women. It makes me wonder if radical feminism has so infiltrated our thinking that we now have to have women fighting our battles, battles that have always been in men's purview. Men, you have to put on your big boy pants and step up to the plate with the spirit of 1776 or we're all doomed. I'm facing some huge expenses for the apostolate between now and January. They may not be big expenses for most apostolates, but they're big for me. I need your help. Statistically, only about 1% of people who use or follow an apostolate give financial gifts to those apostolates. So I'm addressing that 1%. The rest of you needn't listen any further. You can just ignore me. I did the math. If the 1% of you want to generously help this apostolate now, will only give a gift of $2 each, all of this apostolate's year-end expenses, an estimated $10,000, would be met. So please click on the link in my show notes that says, Help Keep the Joe Six-Pack the Every Catholic Guy Apostolate Alive. Please make it a monthly gift for as long as you can. There's also information there for six-pack warriors who prefer to mail a check. As Mother Angelica used to say, put us somewhere between the water and light bills. Thank you. Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, wants to make sure you're informed about all the Catholic news you need to know. Here's Joe Sixpack's top five Catholic news picks for this episode. Catholic news pick number five. Hats off to the Washington Examiner. A federal appeals court has placed a temporary halt on President Biden's vaccine mandate for companies with more than 100 employees. A three-judge panel with the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals said that petitioners had offered significant cause to believe that there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the Biden administration's vaccine order. Governor Greg Abbott said an emergency hearing will take place soon. 
Let's get ready to rumble! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number four. Hats off to the New York Post. President Biden angrily defended his administration's plan to award $450,000 payments to illegal immigrants who were separated at the U.S. border. Whether the border crossing was legal or illegal, and you lost your child, Biden thundered, you lost your child, it's gone. You deserve some kind of compensation, no matter what the circumstance. Biden's comments on Saturday came just three days after he called the report about the payout garbage. You're wacko! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number three. Hats off to the Hill. CNN's Dana Bash reported that the price of gas is now $3.42 a gallon, and Bank of America is predicting that crude oil prices could surge another 50% by June. She asked Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, could the average price of gas in America be $4 a gallon in the United States soon? Granholm replied, well, we certainly hope not. Of course, every president is frustrated because they can't control the price of gasoline because it's a global market. She noted that OPEC countries decided against increasing their supply last week. Never mind that the pretender moron has done all he can to make us dependent on foreign oil when Trump had us independent. Why, you must be delusional! You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number two. Hats off to USA Today. A new USA Today poll found that pretender Biden now has a 38% approval rating with 59% disapproving. The same poll shows Vice President Kamala Harris has an approval rating of just 28% with 51% disapproving. USA Today interviewed Tony Emmy, a 62-year-old retired health care worker who voted for Biden and called Trump deceitful. Emmy said, I think this country is moving in a direction that is dangerous. In a generic congressional ballot, 46% favored Republicans and 38% preferred Democrats. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. Catholic Catholic News Pick number one. Hats off to the Federalists. The once great Boy Scouts of America have announced a new critical race theory requirement. Scouting's latest required merit badge is chock full of critical race theory concepts that will push the BSA further to the left, writes Spencer Lindquist, who earned the rank of Eagle Scout in 2018. One resource prepared for scout leaders was an interview in which someone was asked, what do you think of the concept of being colorblind? And the person responds, I hate it. You can read the whole story by clicking the link in my show notes. I am hard, but I am fair. It's time for the Catholic Boot Camp with your drill sergeant, Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. 
Learn the Catholic faith and how to defend it like you've never heard it before. This boot camp is tough, so there's no political correctness, no spirit of Vatican II, and no namby-pamby platitudes. Drill Sergeant Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy, will prepare you for spiritual war. Now here's Joe Sixpack. I've been an opponent to communion in the hands since I became a Catholic more than 30 years ago, and I've never received in the hand in all that time. I realize that many of you do receive in the hand, and I'm convinced that Catholics who do simply don't know any better. It's my hope that after this boot camp, you'll stop this horribly irresponsible practice. If I tried to write a script for this boot camp, then this boot camp itself would be longer than the entire episode. So instead, I'm going to turn this over to Michael Voris and several of his staffers at Church Militant. Let's listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Download. Perhaps the greatest area of abuse is introduced into the life of the church in the wake of Vatican II by abuse-minded clerics and theologians was in the liturgy, the Mass. From turning the altar around to face the people to horrible non-Catholic music to about a zillion other things, one glaring abuse that emerged was reception of Holy Communion in the hand. This has proven to be an unmitigated disaster, and it shouldn't come as any surprise that it was introduced by wicked prelates like Joseph Bernadine of Chicago. Of course, he wasn't alone. He had a powerful, large minority of liberal anti-Catholic bishops on his side who were facing down a group of bored, bureaucratic, somewhat naive bishops, which allowed Bernadine and his crowd to ram through their changes. The result of all of this, the Blessed Sacrament is disrespected, ignored, not believed in, abused, and has sacrileges committed against it. This is why today so many prelates are willing to just open up reception to practically anyone, divorced and civilly remarried, as we saw in Rome in the Synod, practicing homosexuals, Lutherans, as we talked about last week, and anyone else they can think of. So let's turn our attention now to how we got to this point. Christine, let's talk about, first of all, all of the sacrilege, everything. This is, this is I, most Catholics don't realize this because we've had it now for 40 years. Yeah. Anybody under 40, heck, anybody under 50, this is just the way it's always been to them. Yeah. Lex orandi, lex credendi, lex vivendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief, which is the law of life. How we pray informs what we believe, which informs how we live. And that includes all the liturgical trappings, including communion on the hand versus on the tongue. John Zmirak, who's a great Catholic author, he's been in Miked Up before, a good friend of ours, he has a really good, succinct quote that puts it all in perspective. He said, from now on, to get a movie ticket, Americans should have to kneel before a consecrated celibate wearing ceremonial robes and take the ticket between their teeth, never daring to touch it with their hands. Within a generation or so, they would all develop certain ideas about movie tickets and their significance. <laughs> now take the Eucharist reverse the process, treating it like a movie ticket, enough said. And that's exactly what we have today. The way we, te- we treat handing out Holy Communion now, it's like we're, we're taking a movie ticket, which is no, it's no surprise that something between 50 to 75% of people going to Mass today don't even believe in the real presence. It's just a complete well, wholesale loss they? of belief. Exactly. It's the way we treat it. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is if you go back to the 16th century Protestant reformers, revolutionaries really, Their main theological aim, they had political aims too, but we're not talking about that. Their main theological aim was destruction of the holy sacrifice. To Martin Luther, he called it abominable. In fact, I wanted to read a quick quote here. He said, it is indeed upon the mass as on a rock 
that the whole papal system is built with its monasteries, bishoprics, collegiate churches, altars, ministries, doctrine, etc., with all its guts. All these cannot fail to crumble once their sacrilegious and abominable mass fails. That was his well, program. He got, he got that right. That's he got that absolutely right. right. And so he set out, along with other reformers as well, Cranmer in England, to destroy the holy sacrifice by, one of their ways was, changing liturgical trappings and things like that. For instance, they got rid of the eastward-facing altar, because that means sacrifice. They destroyed altars, the beautiful high altars, absolutely destroyed them, all sorts of iconoclasm, destroyed vestments, vessels, anything that would make it seem like it was a, a sacred act, which was the holy sacrifice. And one of the key things they introduced was communion standing and on the hand, because the point was they wanted to take away from the, the faithful any idea that there was anything special about this piece of bread that was being handed out. And they succeeded very well yes, because there did. was complete loss. Yes, they belief. did. And then, of course, there was great resistance, you know, on the uh, countries and uh, dioceses of Europe that, you know, resisted the Re Reformation or, you know, reverted back after the uh, Jesuits came on. However, fast forward about 400 years and you run into a bunch of bishops who are essentially Martin Luther's well, yeah, you have, in Europe. Well, you have the Protestantism of that day, which the theological viewpoints stay there in Germany, Belgium, Netherlands. They stay in that area and they begin to seep into the universities over the next two or three hundred years. And so you have a, re, uh, a resurgence of these types of theological points, um, you know, around the turn of the century and into the ultimately about the 1950s is when it really takes hold um, in theological circles. And this idea of communion in the hand comes back up again, about 1950s. So that is then kind of with your minority of your heterodox bishops. That's where it stays. But it's in Germany, Netherlands, and Belgium. That seems to be where all the trouble comes from these days. They don't call them the low countries for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so, That's that, really uh, cool. Apologies. <laughs> so, that creates, so they start to introduce, they start to introduce this communion in the hand thing there in Europe. And it kind of starts as an abuse, okay? And then it develops into being kind of accepted by the hierarchy in a certain sense of, well, this is the custom now. So it's like, I've been beating my wife for this long, but now uh, this is just how we talk to each other. I mean, that's, that's kind of what they're saying so give us here. your blessing. Yeah, it's, it's really in complete ignorance. And so that's where the idea that ultimately gets implemented in uh, the United States, which Brad will get into um, through our bishops' conferences, is that they try to portray that America had a prevailing custom of receiving in the hand also like Europe, which was not true. It was actually in America being, or Europe. <laughs> yeah. Well, in those countries it was, but yeah, not across Europe by any means. It was in small dioceses and, you know, in the low countries, but they portrayed like this was the case. And it was actually almost the exact opposite, which Brad will go through. Yeah. When we get to the, uh, when we get to the United States, I mean, look, they did one thing in Europe, in Belgium, the Netherlands. They just said, well, let's just start doing this without permission. And then once the ball kind of got rolling, of course, the American bishops, Bernadine, et cetera, were like, oh, hey, let's jump on that train. Quick, guys, come on, grab your riders and let's we hop on. <laughs> well, what happened with uh, specifically, like Matt was saying, is Belgium, Holland, that's where the Dutch catechism comes out with Skillebex, destroying the belief in the real All presence. All at this same time period. In this late, after Vatican II, Cardinal Ranges said, he was the under Arinze, or the Congregation of Divine Worship, he said it's not a Vatican II thing. So would like to dispel that right now. It's not a Vatican II thing. It's also not a Novus Ordo thing. It's an institutionalized abuse that comes part and parcel with. But Cardinal Stunens and Cardinal Alfrink in Holland and Belgium 
basically did this in complete disobedience. Paul VI is on record. There's dialogue back and forth saying, stop. They say, oh, we can't stop. Well, you yank them out, and you find someone who can stop the disobedience. Yeah, we don't know how to stop this. Memorial Ali Domini, Congregation of Divine Worship, 1969, written, signed off by Paul VI, who was very instrumental in getting this instruction written up, basically said, okay, where there's a prevailing custom, I don't want this going on, stop it, all the way through the document. Last paragraph of the document said, oh, but if it's a prevailing custom, if it's a prevailing custom already, in those countries where there's prevailing custom, that only meant Belgium, Holland, Netherlands, a few places, all around the world, it was not a prevailing custom. You have the right, by two-thirds majority, secret ballot, if it's a prevailing custom, to petition Rome with the reasons why, but then he polled all the bishops in the world, put it in there and said, the majority of the bishops do not want this. And that was in the instruction of Memorial Domini. That they do not want that this. That they do not want this. He said, basically, ask mom, but mom's against this too. So, <laughs> basically, NCCB meeting used that window. In the minutes of the meeting that we obtained from Notre Dame archives, it shows that they did not get a two-thirds majority. It was voted down by secret ballot. Three times. Three times it was voted down, 1970, 73, and finally in 77 at the meeting. It was also voted down. It's in the minutes of the meeting. And basically, they went around that. They also did not, as per the minutes of the meeting, determine what's prevailing custom because bishops didn't want to say, well, either I'm a renegade or I'm incompetent in my diocese. So those two, in Cardinal Kuhn's great canon lawyer, Fischialis, who dies his Madison before he got killed, said permission under deceit is no permission. Rome says you need permission. They didn't get that appropriately. Yeah. If they want to get it now, they need to do that now, yeah. but they and did the, not get and it. And the minutes of that meeting bear Prove all that out. That. And you can get those yourself from Notre Dame Archives. Just call Simon. He'll be happy to work your way through. <laughs> Simon, one of the great concerns, obviously, as mentioned, there's a million things here. You're changing theology, this and that and everything. But let's talk specifically about sacrilege. Yeah. Uh, sacrilegious Simon. Not really. Um, <laughs> when you receive in the hands. I'll, I'll sell sacred things. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Simon me. Um, <laughs> Uh, there's a, I mean, there's not a danger of it. It's the reality. Yeah, it's the reality of it. Okay, so we've discussed a lot of politics. We've discussed a lot of kind of theology. Let's discuss some practical stuff. Okay, so if you want to consecrate the Eucharist, you want to consecrate Jesus Christ on the altar, you need two things. You need a priest and you need bread. And the bread is bread. That's what it is. Now then, when the consecration happens, a substantial change takes place. The bread um, ceases to be bread, and it is the body, blood, soul, divinity of Jesus Christ. But that's just a substantial change. The appearance of the bread, in every single way, it still behaves exactly like bread. So it tastes like bread, it looks like bread, it appears to be bread, it crumbles like bread. There's a reason that we talk about crumbs and breadcrumbs, because yeah, that's what happens. You can buy big containers of, of bread Of breadcrumbs. And you know what? It ain't difficult <laughs> to make breadcrumbs. You, 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 you open your packet of wonder bread and there are crumbs at the bottom. So this is the danger. So if you notice a priest, a good priest who knows his liturgical stuff, he's holding his fingers like this. He doesn't, he doesn't as the rubrics say, he does not disjoin his fingers and thumbs, except when he's to pick up the host. They're extraordinarily careful about cleaning the vessels, um, about making sure that you uh, don't lose crumbs. Now, if you take that Eucharist, take the host, put it into somebody's mouth, there's a very limited chance of losing particles. There may be some particles which stuck to the priest's hands. There was a pattern underneath Which your is chin. why there's a pattern under the chin. In order which to, gets cleaned also. Which gets cleaned also. You know, the priest is the only one touching it. His hands are very carefully cleaned. It is the theological doctrine of the church that the smallest particle that is sensible, that is, appears to the senses, 
that contains Jesus Christ. So it's not a question of, yeah, it is, my apologies, is Jesus Christ. Um, It's not a question, yeah, it doesn't matter. We've got most of him. No, 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 there is no most of him. You you dropped a crumb, you drop Jesus. Don't do that, it's not cool. They've they've even uh, taken that point so far as to, Aquinas writes about this, about how uh, when you digest the host, how long until... About nine minutes. Yeah, it's about nine minutes. They came up with an actual number. How long is it actually substantially sensed by your body How in the sense is that yeah. is it actual you know real actually, particles there's actually a beautiful meditative devotional practice that father pablo straub god rest his soul used to practice he said for about nine minutes you have jesus within you it's like the nine months that mary carried jesus's mm. womb so we're almost like mary at that point after that's receiving that's you. so there's that beautiful moment there she's tremendous i want to talk on something just to make sure because whenever you bring this topic up what do you hear from the other side well, St. Cyril said, make a throne for your king and blah, blah, and this whole business. Okay, a number of things about this. First of all, that, that reference back in time where, well, that's the way they did it then, so that's the way we have to do it now, is called archaeologism, which is just this, you know, it's the ar- ar- archaeology of it, and we just have to continue it. First of all, the two things on that. One, the principle isn't applied in everything. It just happens to be applied in this. If you're going to be archaeological about this, then half of us would be sitting out in front of church in sackcloth and ashes, serving out our penance for nine months. Public confession. Public confession. If the people who want to you know, raise this point and say, because look, a lot of our viewers hear this, they bring it up and the priests tell them, but one priest in this diocese, Archdiocese of Detroit, is very big on this. He puts that out there. It's on his Facebook page and everything else. Oh no, that's the way they used to do it. And here's the quote from St. Cyril. One person. One person that we're not even necessarily sure is True. attributed. Let's assume it is attributed to him for the sake of that. It still doesn't mean anything because there, you know, it was the church looked at the practice and said, no, for the very reasons we're talking about here. It's abuse, loss of faith, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So the church has the right. That's not a dogmatic teaching. The church has the right to say, that's how we did it then. There were problems with it, so we're fixing it, and here's how we're doing it moving forward. And also, the way they did it back then was completely different from how they did it now. You used to do this. So when someone says, oh, put your hand, no. You put your hands out, Simon. All right. You would show up with a... Dominicali, uh, 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 Lord's uh, Cloth. You have to wash your hands first. Right, the Lord's Cloth. It was put, the host was put on the cloth, and how would you receive? You would receive like that. You still never touched it, never with, your hands, touched it with your hands. It was like a personal corporate. Well, it's like, it's, yes. like, it's like your mom always used to say, don't touch that, you don't know where it's been. You know, I think I would say, don't touch Jesus with these, you know where they've been. The church was persecuted for 300 years. So we've been trying to say, well, the church thought that we should do it this way. No, it was, it, they were killing you. It was illegal. You were dying. <laughs> it was people, you know. So. And it, was, it, was, it was at the height of the Aryan Aryan crisis when yeah. there was a wholesale loss of belief in the Yeah, the bishops themselves who were like, yeah. you know, and all of this went together. You said wonderfully before the show, you know, oh, imagine that. It's like when bishops uh, uh, stop believing the divinity of Christ yeah. at the same time they abuse the, abuse <laughs> the blessed <laughs> sacrament. Another, another great line John Zemirak had when we interviewed him on this. If, you, if we continue on this track, at some point, you might as well just pre-consecrate the host and put them in the pews and let people, <laughs> and let people just, you know, or fill up a Gatorade cooler as they walk in. That's it's, what it's some like, parishes do. It's insane. Like. <laughs> but the point to drive home with the, you know, this, you know, oh, well, they used to do it like this in the year 312 or whatever. It's like, well, okay, well, the church has existed for 1,700 years after that, and there have been changes to further protect things. the sacrament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's sure. why there's laws, canon laws meant to protect the sacraments. 
and we've moved beyond that to a safer place. The reason you shouldn't really, it's not, this isn't sinful, but the reason they never let people communicate with the chalice is because there's a greater loss of liquid falling off your lips than having a piece of bread placed on your tongue. So they just said, you don't have to receive Christ, you don't need to receive from the chalice, only the priest does. So we're just going to take that off because it's 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 more dangerous. And that was actually lose. reintroduced by the Protestant reformers, you know, receiving yeah. under both kinds. How much precious blood is sitting on the cufflinks of little kids all over the world? You know, drink from the cup, a little bit of that well, later. I mean, my goodness. There's another thing, too, with what we're talking about with loss of particles here. That's actually, there's a canonical uh, illegality with the loss yeah. of particles. Yeah. They actually, canon law is just to institute theology. It's to safeguard and present these truths. The sine, seven sine qua non conditions that come with memorial idomini in 1969. This is another fallback on Paul VI. He said, well, if you think you can have a prevailing cause, and you think you can get permission, and you can come to Rome, and we all said no, it's still got to be done with these seven conditions. Right. And number three was it must cause an increase in faith. That's crazy. Yeah. That it happen. was written in the original French. We might actually have you take Go a look at that. Chicago mm-hmm. Archdiocese, if there's been an increase in faith, what is it, a quarter of their parishes are going to be closed in the next three yeah. years? And this, this, it must include, everybody says, well, it may not do anything or it may cause a loss, but no one ever argued that it caused an increase. He said three, it must cause, it's a condition. Yes. A uh, person who actually backed me up on it was Father Stravinskis. He's a taught mm-hmm. French, yeah, and Peter he actually Stravinskis. read the it's original French, and he said, yeah, that's what it means. Number five, it says there can be no loss of particles. A canon lawyer, Father Coons, out in Dane, Wisconsin, he said that there, by pastoral experience, I'm morally certain there will be a loss of particles. Therefore, I'm morally certain I can't keep the conditions. Therefore, I'm morally certain I don't have permission. Therefore, I'm morally certain that I uh, am disobedient. Not only sacrilegious, but it's disobedient. disobedient. Yeah, I mean, unless people are going to say, okay, I've received Jesus in the hands, and now my hands are going to be cleaned with the care and attention that the priest gives to his. We actually did that once. You know. I was serving yeah. Mass yeah, out I, in, yeah. out in, That's um, a good story. Yeah. it was Father uh, uh, Vile, I think, from Miliezu, and I was a person out in helping out with the Eucharistic Marian Conference out in, Day- in Wyoming, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. We just got done going through this stuff at breakfast. He was going to be saying Mass for 500 people at the conference. Just got done. Exactly what we talked about right here. I don't think he ever heard it before. I was serving for him. Right at communion time, he said, uh, we're going to have a minister of the washbowl. Never heard it before, but why not, right? He said, if you want to receive communion in the hand, you may do so, but please step aside and have the minister, who was me, Rinse your hand before you move on. Two people received in the hand that day out of 500 people who would have all just come up. Conditions were met because no loss of particles. The water there was taken, poured down the squarium. And number three, they actually thought even more about the particles. It caused yeah. an increase in faith. So I think That's, we kept all five conditions. When, I, when I came good. back to the church 13 years ago, not knowing any better, I used to receive in the hand. But you know, having come into the church with such an intense love of the Eucharist and a deep belief in, in the sacredness of who I was receiving, after a while I became very disturbed in conscience because I could see the little particles on my hand. I did my best to sort of, you know, lick them up, but after a while I was like, it's not worth it. I'm not going through this, you know, you know, tr- yeah, yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to receive it on my tongue. That's it. Yeah, so. it really is amazing. I think that another excuse I actually want to mention is people say, well, wait a minute, are you saying that at the Last Supper, the apostles knelt down and Jesus gave them the bread in their mouth? Well, first of all, they were priests. <laughs> That's what that meal was. It instituted the priesthood. So, no, priests aren't sitting there receiving, as you see that even today. But 
again, it's one of these like go back to this is the way it was, and that it's either out of context or it doesn't apply. We're not priests. We, you know, our hands aren't consecrated. Was it Saint Teresa of Avila? I believe it was had a vision of souls in hell, and she saw that the she knew who the priests were because their hands that had been anointed with oil at their uh, ordinations were burning more intensely. So she knew who the souls of the priests were right there. We don't have that. We should never be touching. The, and is there some massive emergency of some kind? And it's certainly not habitual well, that you should never be touching the sacred species ever. At the Last Supper, too, there's a debate whether Jesus put the morsel on the tongue because there was this Jewish custom when somebody you have a guest in the house that you place it on the tongue. And when he dipped a little morsel, very more, small particle, into the, uh, he said he dipped it, his first intention, and right. he would have placed that, not in the wetness in the hand, right, right. but on the right tongue of the Judas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Redemptionis Sacramentum, I'd like to read on air. If there is a risk of profanation, this is current law from Rome. If there's a risk of profanation, meaning loss of particles, then Holy Communion should not be given in the hand of the faithful. That's current, Redemptionis Sacramentum, that's number 92, uh, the germ, the parent of all germs, general instruction of the Roman Missiles throughout the world. Long so. story short for all the people uh, watching, you know, you gotta, you got to stop. Right. <laughs> you, you just, just have to stop. This. Just stop doing or it. Kneel down. It's God. It's the king of the universe. Kneel down and receive him where you are Even not committing. Even if you're committing. the only one. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Let people yeah. laugh at you. Let yeah. some priest come up and yell at you. We've all heard from some priest. Yeah. Can't do that. You know, who great. cares? You know, God's what's important here, not some pre- liberal priest's right. opinion. He saw the whole thing predicated on the mass. And if that falls, so you're never going to have vocations. You're never going to have fervent vocations. You're never going to have liturgical reform without getting rid of communion. It's because communion, you know, our Lord is the source and summit of the Christian life. If we right. don't put, you know, all of our focus and energy and attention into that, what do you expect? You're going to fall apart. Catholics need to begin to understand just how far off the rails the church has gone, and the list is nearly endless. This isn't just panic scares, the perversion of the social justice uh, teachings of the church, the liturgical abuses, the homosexual priest problem, the deformation that most of today's bishops went through in seminary in the 1960s to the 1980s, and even going on to, the, to a degree today. We could go on and on, but that's all for another show. For all now, for what we need to do is pray that these evils be addressed by heaven directly. The church is so far off the rails that no human effort can realistically be expected to bring it back. We all need to do everything we can do, absolutely, but this is impossible without God. But as we know, with God, all things are possible. For the Deeply Concerned panel, I'm Michael Voris. Thank you very much for joining us. Please join us tomorrow for your daily dose of the download. God love you. 300,000. That's how many Catholic souls this apostolate reaches every week through all the things I do. Apparently, then, this apostolate is vital. The unfortunate reality is that reaching that many souls isn't free. I need your help, and I need it now. Between now and the end of January, this apostolate has to raise about $10,000 to stay in existence. So please click on the link in my show notes that says, Help keep the Joe Sixpack, the Every Catholic Guy apostolate alive. Please make it a monthly gift for as long as you can. There's also information there for six-pack warriors who prefer to mail a check. As Mother Angelica used to say, put us somewhere between the water bill and the light bill. Thank you. Catholic Church is 2,000 years old. A lot of wisdom is gained over two millennia. Each week we'll share some of that wisdom with a Catholic quote. 
So here's this week's Catholic quote. This week's Catholic quote is from St. Isidore of Seville. He said, If a man wants to be always in God's company, he must pray regularly and read regularly. When we pray, we talk to God. When we read, God talks to us. I believe a really great way to teach the faith is through stories, parables, and anecdotes. So here's today's story. Some years after World War I, the Prince of Wales visited a hospital for hopelessly wounded and mangled veterans. Beside each broken body, he stopped, shook hands, and spoke a word of encouragement. As he was being led from the room, the prince said, I understand you had 36 patients here, but I've only seen 29. The nurse explained that the others were too horribly maimed for him to see. Is it for my sake or theirs that you're not taking me to them? asked the prince. For yours, sir. Then I insist you show me in. In this room, he also stopped at each man and thanked him for his sacrifice and service. He turned to the nurse again and said, Where is the seventh? I've only seen six. Again, the nurse objected. Please don't ask to see him, sir, she pleaded. But I must see him. I advise against it, your highness. It can do no good. I insist that you take me to him, demanded the royal visitor. The prince followed the nurse into a darkened room to what was left of a human body, blind, twisted, hideously broken and disfigured. The prince turned white, his lips were drawn, and tears trickled down his cheeks. He bent down and kissed the cheeks of the broken hero. There was another prince who came down from his palace in heaven not only to visit and shake hands with those wounded in the war with sin, but to raise them up, body and soul. Jesus heals broken souls in the sacrament of penance. This is how Jesus chose to forgive sin rather than just praying to ask for forgiveness. He gave the power to forgive sins to his priesthood on the first Easter Sunday night. When G.K. Chesterton became a Catholic, he was asked why he converted. He replied, to get rid of my sins. Go to confession now, today. This has been The Cantankerous Catholic with Joe Sixpack, the every Catholic guy. Thanks for subscribing, and be sure to visit cantankerouscatholic.com to get your free copy of Joe's popular book, The Best of What We Believe, Why We Believe It.